Another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Joshua chapter 4 verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial, a memorial, a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. Man, we could preach that. Come down with me now to verse 18. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the 10th day of the first month, the people set up, went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what just what He had done to the Red Sea when He dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You know, the nation of Israel here in this passage of Scripture is in the middle of crossing the Jordan River. If anybody knows anything about the story of the Israelites, you will probably realize that this for them was perhaps their most defining moment. They have lived for the last 40 years in the wilderness. Before that, 430 years in slavery in Israel. Before that, they lived on the other side of the Jordan. They come up out of Egypt, set free by God, cross the Red Sea. An amazing picture for us, the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost, Jesus over our lives, set free from sin and death, brought out in the glorious freedom of the children of God. For 40 years, they wandered around in that wilderness environment. And then they reach the edge. As they reach the edge of the Jordan, Moses passes away and it's Joshua's moment to take the people over. So much in this passage, an amazing passage. Moses could never lead them into the promised land. Why? Because the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses is a type of the old covenant. Jesus is the new covenant. Joshua in the Hebrew is Jesus in the Greek. And to go into the 
life God's got for you, you need Joshua at the helm. An amazing moment. Moses is gone. Joshua takes leadership. And it is Israel's moment to cross the Jordan River. It is an exceptional moment for them, a miraculous moment, a moment when they're crossing over from the wilderness into the promised land. It represents for them a crossing over into new life. It represents leaving behind the barrenness of yesterday and finding the promise and the freedom of tomorrow. Man, I hope everybody in this room understands that if God is in your life, every day is a new day that there is new potential, new horizons, that none of us are gonna live in the same barren wilderness our whole lives. You're not destined by God to just wander around and around the same fruitless rotation. God wants you to live a life that is abundant, a life that is blessed, a life that is in the promised land. If you believe it, give God a shout this evening. They cross over. And in the middle of this amazing moment, the Bible says that God commands Joshua and Joshua commands the people and they chose 12 men. And to each of these men, the job was assigned to take one stone from the middle of the Jordan. The Jordan was in flood. And at that moment, God caused the floodwaters of the Jordan to recede as the priests stepped into the River Jordan. I want you to know that sometimes when things look the worst, it's because God's setting you up to show you something that He can only do by His hand and power. I mean, if it was, if it was the middle of a drought, and the Jordan receded, then you would say that's nothing. But if it's been raining for the only time in the year, if the waters are flooded and flowing, if it's like the hot river when everything comes down from the Rimataka Ranges and everything's getting swept out to sea, in that moment, you know that God is doing something great. And sometimes it's gotta look real bad before it gets real good. The waters of the Jordan recede. And the Bible says the Ark of the Covenant is standing in the middle of the Jordan. And God says to Joshua, I want you to choose 12 men and I want them to go down and right where the Ark of the Covenant is, let them grab a stone each, let them put it on their shoulders and let them carry it over to the other side of the Jordan to the place where we are going to camp. 12 stones. First thing I want you to note is that when God speaks to Joshua, and to Israel, and he says, select 12 men. God's bringing them back to a pretty bad memory. I mean, when you think about the last time 12 guys were selected, it caused them to live in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses chose 12 guys and said, I want you to go and survey the promised land. And because of those 12 or 10 amongst the 12, the overwhelming negative report that I preached from this morning kept them for four decades of their lives in a wilderness environment. And God brings them back to that same painful memory and says, choose 12 and let them each carry a stone. Let them carry a stone from the middle of the Jordan and let them take it over to the other side. I want you to, to carry these stones over with you so that in days to come, when people look at Israel and they look at these stones and they, they find you living this life that you're now living. See, there are moments in our lives where God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
moments when He favors us beyond our wildest dreams, moments when He takes us maybe, maybe out of some kind of addiction and sets us free, a moment perhaps when we were in strife and God brought us peace. Maybe that moment, I've had it, when God gives you the girl of your dreams and God just blesses your life way beyond what you feel you are deserving of. Maybe it's just a moment when you encounter His presence, but every life in this room has moments. And God's saying to Israel, from the middle of your moment, I want you to take a stone and I want you to carry it with you and I want you to erect those stones into a pillar, into a memorial on the other side of the Jordan River. It's an amazing thing to note that in the Bible, whenever you see stones in the Bible, you see more than just a stone. Things in the Bible have a depth of meaning and that's why it's the best book you're ever gonna read because you can never tire of discovering new things about it. Couldn't tell you how many times I've read it cover to cover and every time I read it, I'm like a, I'm like a, I'm like a kid reading it for the first time. There's something new on every page. And rocks in the Bible, boulders, stones, are always synonymous with memories. Whenever you see rocks in the Bible joined together, it will always be an expression of a memory, remembering something, causing a memorial, a moment to be remembered in the longevity of life. Abraham, Abraham left his father's home and dwelled out, went out on that journey, sojourning, believing that God would give to him, you know, the, as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. The Bible says when he got to the land, the promised land, the Bible tells us that Abraham had a dream and in the dream God said to him, all that you see, I will give it to you. All that you see, I will give it to you. And Abraham's response is so powerful, so powerful for every person in this room to understand that the next thing he did was he collected stones and he built them together. And he said, I must, I must remember the moment when God's promise came to me. Your life is gonna be defined by whether you remember the promise that came to you. Lives are shaped by what we do with memories. Memories. Jacob, Jacob had a dream and the Bible says that when he woke up, he erected a pillar and he said, the stone that's under my head will be one of my memories. And he erected a pillar in that environment. Noah, Noah came out of the ark and the first thing he did when he came out of the ark was he built an altar, an altar of stones. He's saying, I've got to worship God at this moment. Worship God and remember it as long as I live. All the way through the Bible, whether it's, whether it's Jacob, whether it's Noah, whether it's Abraham, whether, it, whether it's every page of the Scripture, people using stones to remember what God has done. And stones in the Bible are a picture for us of memories. Now church, what unites every person in this room is that we all have memories. Not a person in this room without memories. And if you have no memories, you should see a doctor. They call that amnesia. But we all have memories. And every Christian has a Jordan River. Everybody has a moment when God's moved in their lives. But you know what we're learning from this passage of Scripture tonight is that God does work in our lives in the most amazing ways and memories happen for us. But what we choose to do with our memories is going to be so very important for the future of our lives. Literally, God says, I want you to set up the stones. Joshua, I want you, in verse 9 of our reading, I want you to set up the stones. In other words, God works the moments, but we build the memorials. 
God moves in our lives and does stuff. He is the God of the moment. But God said to Joshua, you build the memorial. And listen, friends, we all have memories. But the way we use our memories is gonna have power in the longevity and the outcome of our lives. He's saying, I, I work the moment and you build the memorial. God works in miracles and we build the monuments. See, many people have an amazing moment with God, but what they fail to do is to build the memorial to what God has done. So very quickly, things are lost. In verse six, it says, in the future, in the future, when your descendants ask, what do these stones mean? You can tell them, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and the Lord brought us out. He's saying, I want you to talk to them about your memories. Now listen, the moment we start talking about memories, everybody in this room is aware that they have memories. Some of our memories are good, some of our memories are bad. But what we choose to do with the memories of our lives will very much determine the future of our lives. That's why tonight I wanna to talk to you about memories because I believe that our God gives us answers to what to do with the memories of our lives, whether they're good memories or whether they are bad memories. Memories are gonna define us. Memories are gonna shape us. Memories are right now determining the person that you are today and shaping the person that we will become tomorrow. I once met a man who had an amazing gift and in miracles, just saw incredible miracles take place. The Bible says that some, he gives the gift to work in miracles. And this man just had an amazing ministry of working in miracles. I mean, he had, he had documented stories of people whose eyes had been opened, lame people who could walk again, amazing stories of, of tumors dropping off body, bodies, of blood conditions being healed, and amazing, amazing testimonies. I said to him one day, I said, sir, would you be able to tell me how is it that you've been able to work and develop and build a ministry of such incredible miracles? He said to me, well, John, there's three things that I do. He said, number one, I always step out in faith. Doesn't matter what room I'm in, if there's people in there that need to be healed, if there's a situation that needs to be turned around, I'm never gonna shrink back from it. I'm always gonna put myself out there. I'm always gonna have a go. And by the way, pause and just say that God loves people who have a go. I mean, Jonathan and his armor bearer just said, let's have a go. And they defeated the armies of the Philistines. If that's not evidence of nothing, it's evidence of this, that God loves people who have a go. He loves it. Peter's like, let's get out of the boat. Let's have a turn walking. Let's just have a go. And if you have that kind of spirit, God, you're positioning yourself for God to do something great through your life. Step out of the boat, walk on water, get out there, ask the girl on a date, do something. You gotta put yourself out there if you want the blessing of God in your life. Amen, that's a word for some guy. Number two, number two. He said, if I ever, I'm ever in an environment I'm ever, ever in an environment where God doesn't move. With, I don't know, maybe people are cold of heart. Maybe things are resistant and we just have no miracles take place. He said, I walk out of that room and he said, John, it's like in my soul, I just shut the door on that meeting, that room, that environment, and I will never allow my mind to go there again. I refuse it. It's never gonna be present in the way that I think. And then he said, oh, but John, you need to see my testimony room. He said, I have a room in my house where every wall, every wall 
is covered with photos and stories of people that have been healed through my ministry, through times when I've been graced by God to be the one that prays for them. He said on every wall, there are faces, every wall, tumors and cancers and eyes and stuff. And I keep that room filled with all of those stories. And he said, John, every day I go into that room, every day that I'm home, I go into that room and I pray in that environment. I immerse myself in what God has done. I get in that moment and I remember the memories and the memories are shaping my life. And you know what, friend? Maybe it's deliberate, maybe it's accidental, but every person in this room, our lives are being shaped by the memories of our hearts. The reason why I know that to, true, to be true is because the memory is as real as the moment. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. A memory is as real as the moment. Think, the thing about memories is that memories are alive no matter how long ago the memory took place. I mean, you know, when you think about it, something that really matters to you, you're always gonna begin, as you remember that event, to be affected emotionally by what you are remembering. The reason for that, friends, is simple. We are a triune being, the Bible says, body, soul, and spirit. But at the center of who we are, we are not a body. The body dies, but the spirit is always alive. And the thing we need to know about our spirit is that our spirit is eternal. God is eternal. That's why our spirit can go to heaven because that is the eternal part of us, meaning that our spirit doesn't live within time. Powerful, meaning that when you think about something, then your, your, life, your life is not living within the constructs just of the lineality of time. When we live in a memory, we are going back to that point and it comes alive as real as it was at the moment that it took place. I went riding with my daughter Lara earlier this year and she fell off her bike and had a really bad accident. And I mean, you know, the thing about it is that I think about that accident maybe once a week or once a fortnight. And every time my stomach goes into a knot, every time tears well up in my eyes, and every time I think I wish that moment had not taken place. In other words, the memory is as real as the moment. It works in the negative and it works in the positive. What you choose to remember in your life, what's going on in the memories of your heart will shape your present state of being. Dead set guarantee. The memories of our hearts are dominating the way that we see ourselves, shape the way that we interact with the world. Whether you're up or down, happy or sad, it's gonna come back not to the memories that you've had in your life, but to the memories that are dominating the emotional experience of your life. Psalm 42.6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Some people in moments of melancholy choose to, 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 choose to remember every rejection, every hurt, every piece of pain. And if you want a list of your betrayals, let's match them up with David's. Earthly father rejected him, born to a woman who wasn't his father's wife, left out in the backfield when the prophet, in other words, he's, a, he's, a, he's not even a clean child, didn't want the holy man of God to meet him. Then of course, Saul rejects him, tries to kill him. People are out there saying all kinds of rubbish about him. He's got as much of a rejection list as you've got a rejection list. 
Yet he said, the way I will navigate the minefield of my emotions is I won't remember the hurt. I won't remember the pain. I won't remember the rejection. I will remember you. I will remember the moment you turned up in my life. I will remember the time when I was in your presence. I remember that season when I was at youth camp, when I was at a rise conference, when I was in church. I remember that moment when you spoke to me out of your word at one in the morning when I couldn't sleep and your Bible came alive. I will remember intern retreat. He's saying, I will remember you. And when a life focuses on the right kind of memories, it shifts the emotional state of the person. Man, this is so powerful. This will help a lot of people tonight. In, in, in the verse 24, Joshua 4, verse 24, it says the purpose of the memorial is that the nations of the earth might always remember and might always fear. In other words, what you remember generates an emotion. The emotion will govern your life. They might always remember and might always Fear the Lord your God. That's the only fear in our lives that we should have. Reverence or worship to the Lord our God in our lives is the only legitimate fear we should ever have. And the Bible's saying you will live in the right kind of emotional state when you choose the right memories in your life. The moment happens, the monument is erected. When you see it, you remember and emotion is created. Fear of God, wonder and awe. In other words, everything about our lives comes back to two things, two things. Number one, the moments God works and the memorials we choose to build. And if in our lives we're not intentional about the use of our memories, we will never live fully the life God wants for us. Let me put it to you this way. Marriages are destroyed by a lack of memorials. I mean, no one got married because they thought the person was blasé. You know, she's a bit of average and, you know, doesn't really charm me. You got married because you were like, every waking moment I think about this person, I'm always devoted to this person. Oh my gosh, they rock my world. But if you don't build a memorial to what that memory means in your life, then as life goes on, a bunch of other things can come in. If you're married to anybody long enough, you're gonna say the wrong things, have hurts, have disappointments, things aren't gonna go well. I'm talking about other people's marriages, of course. But if you're not intentional, don't build memorials, then man, that can ruin a marriage. Families are destroyed by a lack of memorials. Photo albums, things, pictures, identity, family culture are about building memorials that anchor a life Together, He's saying, when you work a moment, take something with you. That's why, you know, I'm sure that they did it at, uh, at the Messerosh wedding. Take a million photographs, pay a photographer more money than the caterer. You know what I'm saying? And then at the end of it all, you've got a bunch of photos. But those photos are so powerful. Jillian and I have a couple up on the wall of our house, you know, in, in places. We've got the whole album. We have albums for the children, little photo things. I mean, of course, you've got iPads and that these days, but little, little albums that are theirs from when they were born all the way through to wherever age they are now. I'm amazed how often the kids just say, where's my photo album? And then they, they just flick through it. Memorials, memorials, memorials. And in our lives, what we build a memorial to is gonna determine so much 
about our lives. See, everybody's got a, a, a memory. Everyone here has memories, but it is possible to build a memorial to the wrong thing. Turn with me this evening to Judges chapter six. Is this helping anybody? Judges chapter 6. Go there with me. Judges chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 22. An angel of the Lord turns up to Gideon and he says, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. Peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. That's an encouraging word right there. And then the Bible says, look, then Gideon built an altar there. He used stones, he put them together, and he called it, he called it, the Lord is peace. Like Abraham, when he discovered the God who provided, he built an altar and he called that place Jehovah Jireh. When he did not have to kill Isaac, but the Lord provided a ram. And today we still know the God who provides for us because Abraham built a memorial to a moment when God worked in his life. And in our Christian faith, central to our faith is the Lord who is our peace. But the man who discovered that was Gideon. And he built an altar. He built a memorial. He arranged his memories and said, I will never forget that the Lord is my peace. Oh, my peace is not in a sunrise, a sunset, a full bank account, children that are asleep. My peace is found in the God who doesn't judge me, who forgives me, who loves me. I have peace with God and it is well with my soul. Powerful. Then the Bible says the same night, the Lord said to him, verse 25, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. All right, let's break this down. So we've got Gideon. And the Bible says that God turns up in his life. By the way, just a little side note, why did God turn up in his life? The Bible says that when the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, the Lord is with you, Gideon said to the angel, if the Lord is with us, then why have all these things happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? So if you want to attract God to your life, don't meditate on your woe and your worry and your fear. Meditate, think about, remember what God has done throughout generations, his promises, his truth, his revivals. All my life, I've been a student of what God has done. I read countless books and revivals that have happened in history, in the Bible. And I reckon as you pour your life into the right kind of memories, something of attraction comes to God in your life. You can choose what you remember, choose what you think about. And Gideon was thinking about the right stuff. But then the Bible tells us that God speaks to him and he says, now Gideon, I want you to tear down your father's altar to Baal. In other words, your father has a bunch of stones and he has erected those stones in a particular format. And he says, I want you to take your father's altar and I want you to tear it down. 
And I want you to build a proper kind of altar in its place. See, this is the deal that's going on for Israel. In Israel's mindset, right now, the Midianites are oppressing them on every side. They, they are experiencing hardship and difficulty. And in times of hardship and difficulty, you begin to reflect on the story of your life. Very true, but also you can do it right or you can do it wrong. And his father has built an altar to Baal. In other words, he said, you know what? We are the Israelites. We have come up out of Egypt. We are God's chosen people. And that is one of my stones. But then he said, you know what? Um, God brought us into this land and he gave it to us. That, that's one of our stones. But then he's saying, you know, but then, you know, it feels like God is not anywhere near us. And I, I, I remember the fact that I don't feel like God's really there for me. And that's one of his stones. And we're now being oppressed and beaten. And that's one of our stones. And then he's saying, you know what? I remember when I saw the Midianites and the way they lived and they've got a lot of wealth and everything seems easy for them and they keep, they keep winning when they go to war against us. And that was one of his stones. And then he said, you know what? The God of the Midianites, Baal, the God that is worshiped by sacrificing children in the fire, that God, that God, that God must be at the center of the way that they think the way that they're blessed. He's arranging his memories in a way that does not give glory to God. See, this is the thing. I want you to know every person in this room has a bunch of memories. I mean, in this room, you can have a lot of different memories. You might've been poor all your life and that's one of your stones. You can't change it. You might've been abused and that's one of your stones. You might've had hardship, relationship breakdown, and you know what? You can't erase that. It's not possible. You can't just do away with the fact that you've had hardship. But the question really is what's the dominating memory? See, what Gideon's dad had done is he'd made we are God's children and he put it at the bottom. And this is the way you and I must arrange our lives is with our memories in the right order. This will help you. Because you can't do away with your memories but you've got to make the pinnacle memory of your life the one where God moved, the one where God delivered, the one where God brought you out. And perhaps the most provocative and powerful thing that Gideon did was he tore down his father's altar. He tore down the memories that were constructed in a way that gave glory to Baal. You can give glory to pain, glory to trouble, glory to grief, glory to the world. But God says, tear it down because you might have abuse as one of your stones. Pain is one of your stones. Poverty is one of your stones. But we serve the God who healed our diseases, who brought us out of what we were in, who rescued our souls, who healed us, who liberated us, who set us free. And man, it doesn't matter what happened in my yesterday. God's got a future for me and a great plan He's bringing me into. If you believe that, give the Lord some praise in this room tonight. He's saying change the arrangement of your stones. Change the arrangement of your stones. It's the slave trader who gets miraculously saved, who writes a song and doesn't say, I am awful, I am wicked, I am so bored, man. If he had written that song, no one would sing it. 
But the slave trader writes a song and this is what he says. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I was a slave trader. I ripped off people. I treated humans like cattle. But God saved my soul. And it became an anthem for the generations sung throughout every season of history since the moment that it was written until this very day. And I'm telling you, you can go through all sorts of pain and difficulty, but God wants to turn your mess into an anointing. He wants to turn your pain into His very perfume. He wants to turn yesterday's trials into tomorrow's testimonies. God's got a great future. Come on, if you believe that God is the center of your life, give Him some praise right now. It all comes back to the way we use the memories. We have to choose what we think about, choose the way we refer to it, choose the way we... See, here's the real challenge for our memories. Who gets glory for them? This is the problem with the Christian. You know, it doesn't happen to rise. Praise God for that. But the Christian who gets up there and goes, yeah, I used to be in the world. And when I was in the world, I used to go to these parties. Then they kind of go into vivid detail of what the party looked like. Like we've never even heard of one. Do you know what I'm saying? And we took drugs. And you know, then they're like giving us oodles of detail on it. And then then, then I found Jesus. The problem is they've got memories. But God ain't getting any glory for them. And I'm telling you what, as long as the dominating memories of their life are what life used to be like yesterday, then there's no future in there tomorrow. But when you say, I can't believe He saved me. I can't believe He set me free. I can't believe He bought His life. I can't believe He cared for me. Oh man, He is the God of my life. I'm serving Him. Then you're putting God at the top of your memories and setting your life up for blessing and favor. Can I take you one step further? Come over with me now. Come over with me now to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter 28. We're nearly done. Genesis 28. Genesis 28, verse 10. The Bible says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to the heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though it used to be called Luz. He called that place Bethel, though it used to be called Luz. See, what an amazing thing this is. 
And the power of this that I want to share with you tonight is that when you speak about a person with a bunch of memories, Jacob is a guy with a lot of memories. The first thing to note about Jacob is that he's the second born son. Pretty much meaning you missed it. The firstborn son in this culture got the inheritance. It wasn't divided, it wasn't split in two. So the second born one is the guy who missed out on everything. Praise God, we've moved on from that. But Esau got the blessing. So that is one of Jacob's stones. My bro gets the blessing. And the next one is that he, he, he deceived his brother out of it. In fact, they named him Jacob. And the word Jacob means he grasps at the heel. That's why his mum called him that. But Jacob has a double meaning. It also means he who deceives. So he's like, I'm a deceptive person. That's one of my stones. At the time of this writing, Jacob is literally fleeing for his life because his brother is wanting to kill him. And so he's thinking, I've got to get out of Dodge. And he is running away from his family, away from his environment. And so fear and running is one of his stones. But the Bible tells us that in the middle of the night, Jacob lies down to have a sleep. <laughs> I'd love to know why, but he uses a stone as a pillow. He lies down in the middle of the night is asleep and he has a vision. And in his vision, he sees a ladder that reaches the heavens and angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And at the top of the ladder, very few people in all the Bible got to see this, but Jacob saw the Lord. I mean, not even Abraham is mentioned as seeing the Lord, but he saw the Lord standing in the heavens at the top of the ladder. And God said to him, I am your God. I'm the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will make you so numerous that you will be like the stars of the sky and the sand and the seashore. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you until this promise is fulfilled. Jacob wakes up and he's like, what the heck? He grabs that stone and he sees himself in a new light. Now listen, this is so important for every person. Nothing has changed. In the natural, nothing has changed. He is still the second born son, still the guy who deceived his brother. He is still running for his life. What changed? What changed is that God gave him a new memory. And you know what the memory was of? Not of something that had happened yet. God gave him a memory of what was to come. He showed him a little sample of his future. That's what a vision is. A vision is a sample of where you're going to be tomorrow. And Jacob, the Bible says, took that stone and he grabbed another pile of stones and he built them up but the one that he put on the top of the pile was the one on which his head had been lying. I am the second born son. I deceived my brother. I am in fear. I am running for my life. But God has a vision for my life. 
I'm here. I might have been born by accident, but I'm alive by purpose. I might have been abused, but I will be a blessing. I might have come from poverty, but I will know abundance. I will live and I will tell of the goodness of the Lord. I will see His hand at work in my life. I'm a person with a destiny. I'm alive for kingdom purpose. God is for me and not against me. He is with me in every season of my life. Give Him praise in this room tonight. Praise the God of vision. Praise the God who sets you free. Hallelujah. Our God is mighty. See, that's that, that is what a vision is. A vision is a memory of an event that is yet to take place. And when we make the vision that God puts into our hearts, oh, many people in this room have a dream. God didn't give you a dream to taunt you. He gave you a dream so that you would hold up the dream and put it at the top of your life because it'll refuse you to settle. You won't accept second best. You'll raise higher for greatness and believe for God's promise. It'll bring you in to all that God has. Come on, give Him praise in this place tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is the God of vision and the God of dreams. And just, just, just as the pain of our past is as real today as it was a decade ago. So the vision, once it's in your heart, is as real today as it will be in the days that are to come. And just like the pain of the past anchors you to yesterday, so the vision God has anchors you to tomorrow. And our lives will gravitate on the pathway of the dominant memories that we live our lives out of. And I don't care what you've been through and I don't care what happened to you yesterday. I mean, I care, but what I'm saying is God can give you a vision of where He's gonna take you. You weren't born for failure. You were born for victory. You're not on earth a victim. You're here a victor. You're not defeated. You're abundant. God's making you the head and not the tail. Oh man, it might've been hard yesterday, but it's gonna be easy tomorrow. Surely morning endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. If you believe it, then give the Lord some praise in this house tonight. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.